I, I hope you guys took notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to make a little, yeah, okay. Well, I've, I'm glad you just said that because I'm going to put that clip at the very beginning and, and tell people to get a get a pen and paper because this is uh, this is a deep one. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Lethal Podcast. Today is part two of our interview with Bill Vanderheiden of Iron Will Outfitters. Uh, this episode is similar in a lot of ways and very different in a lot of ways than what our conversation was about last week. Uh, in this discussion, we went deep on the physics behind aero penetration, uh, kinetic energy, momentum, front of center, mechanical advantage, edge sharpness, aero mass, aero speed. If you can think about it and it relates to penetration, we talked about it, uh, including some preconceived notions about Dr. Ashby uh, that we had a really good chat about as well. Uh, so uh, even after another hour plus of us talking about all of that stuff, we still didn't get to talk about everything that we wanted to. So hopefully sometime soon we can have Bill back to, uh, to talk about more of this stuff uh, a bit more in depth. Uh, but if you're a nerd, trust me when I say you are going to love this episode. Uh, as always, this podcast is fueled by Hunter's Blend Coffee. Go to huntersblendcoffee.com and get yourself a delicious cup of joe. I've been burning the candle at both ends. I know I said that last week, but it has been especially true because work this week has been insane. Uh, and man, if I didn't have some Hunter's Blend in the morning, it would be a long, long day. So, um... Go to huntersblendcoffee.com, and when you check out, be sure to use code ABF, all caps, and 10% of your purchase will be donated to the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation, and we know we love that. Uh, if you like the content of the podcast, uh, we this episode last week did really good, so I'm hoping that you guys did, and we've got some new listeners. Uh, p- please feel free to drop us a quick review on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate it. It helps us get some more exposure uh, we also have some merch on the website. Uh, it's really cool when you guys buy that stuff. Helps us out, keep this thing going. Uh, websites, software to do this kind of thing isn't the cheapest, and my wife would really appreciate it if you bought some merch from us. So that'd be cool. Uh, so anyway, uh, without any further ado, here is the part two with Bill Vanderheiden from Iron Will Outfitters. Enjoy. Anyway, Absolutely. so let's let's jump in here uh, to uh, something that you used to, when you reached out to us to to uh, talk about setting this up. You specifically wanted to take a, a bit of a deep dive on on the physics behind aero penetration, uh, and then you specifically called out that you wanted to to have a at least part of this discussion uh, about kinetic energy and momentum and maybe some some misconceptions there and, and even some stuff that I, I feel like we from what we've talked about before that we probably need to clean up. And, and I, I think you're probably going to touch on these and we can, uh, we can kind of expand on it. So I'll, I'll let you kind of uh, kick off this portion of it on, on whatever you want to ch- chat about. Yeah. So um, to me from like an engineering standpoint um, or physics. So, I mean, engineering is just applied science and the science yeah. being physics, you know, for mechanical engineering. So, you know, if I was, what I'm really trying to solve here is how far is this arrow going to penetrate through this animal? Um, and I think there's been, there was a time when it was like just a kinetic energy was put out there and 
And that's not enough information. And so I think more recently, people are saying energy doesn't matter um, at all quite a bit. And I think about it a little bit differently. I, I think about there's kind of two ways to solve the problem on how far will this arrow penetrate or will it penetrate through this animal? And that's you can do a conservation of energy or a conservation of, of momentum. Um, mm-hmm. And momentum is um, there's a, there's quite a few reasons why that's kind of a more um, direct approach. But let's talk about energy a little bit. Why I don't think it should be necessarily thrown out. I mean, I've always well, it's like I, what it's I did, all tied together, right? And that's what a lot yeah. of people seem to miss. Like it. Yep. Just going at just looking at kinetic energy is is not good. But let, let's just talk about energy for a minute. Um, yeah. So you start with this potential energy of the bow. It's drawn back. It's like, it's like a spring. Um, so you got some potential energy there. And then when you let go of the string, the, the string applies a force on the arrow. So you have work, work done on the arrow, um, which is, so we're just talking in terms of energy right now. So you got potential energy and then you have work, work is equal to force times distance. Mm -hmm. Um, so you put work into that energy at that end. That work stops when the force of the string stops. But now it's created, um, you know, a kinetic energy of that arrow. And so from there to your target, it's it has this kinetic energy. And there's, and you know, throughout this, there's energy losses. And I'll come back to that. But yeah. you've got some kinetic, you've got some yes. kinetic energy at the bow. You've got some kinetic energy just before it hits the target. Um, and they're different because of some losses. Yep. And then at the target, this is where I think a lot of people stop and say, you, you can't do anything more with energy. It's just it's how, like how hard you hit or, or something like that. But 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 to me, no, at, at the target, the arrow starts cutting into the animal. And now there's work being done on the arrow to stop it. Um, yeah. So at the, bow, at the bow side, the force over that distance... And, and the energy created there is really that force times distance, or f- since it's variable, it's the area under the force distance curve. Yep, it's the force curve. And then, yeah. And at the other end, it's the same thing kind of in reverse, where there's a force on the arrow that that kinetic energy is now um, kind of being converted to work on the arrow. Or that mm-hmm. work, or that work against the arrow is stopping that kinetic energy. So you have yeah. a force versus dis- distance here. So if you think about it, um, real simple from that standpoint. Ener- I mean, energy does matter through this. The the problems with this, um, and, and the thing I like about energy, is it's got that distance term right in it, in it at the end. Well, that distance is what I'm trying to figure out. So if you get this yeah. force, force distance curve at the animal. Um, you now know how much energy it took to do that. And that's why, that's why, that's why I do that force testing. Yeah. And and that's the tricky part with an animal is like at launch, we can measure very precisely what that force curve looks like. Right. We, We can calculate that. We can determine what the, the stored energy is, what the potential is in the bow, we can determine how much of that is transferred, what's lost to friction, what's lost to noise, what remains, all of that, right? At impact, 
every animal's a little bit different. And even a single animal, there's multiple layers and resistances being encountered. So if you could theoretically create a force curve for, you know, the hide, the ribs, the vitals, ribs again, etc., you could th- theoretically work that all out mathematically, right? <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I did that on paper this week. <laughs> hey, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I only did it for my bow, but I did it like, so I did this measurement of, all right, how much force did it take to push the, uh, push broadheads through, um, and I was using the Audad parts. I went through like an Audad hide um, and then just muscle. Um, and then I also did like a moose hide and just some foam behind that, that I had it strapped around. And then I did, uh, an odd hide muscle and shoulder blade. It was kind of that, the whole shoulder mm-hmm. that I cut off with the, with the hide on. And then I made some assumptions on, you know, how much is like a, an elk different than this maybe. And then I thought, okay, I got a shoulder blade on this side, a shoulder blade on this side. The middle might be more like just pushing through meat. Um, and yeah, I looked at how much energy that would take, how much how much kinetic energy does my arrow have just before it gets there, um, and so it's it's a rough estimate. But yeah, anyway, you would also I don't wanna, probably need yeah. to account for the the movement. A lot of times, the animal's moving away, which is going to negate some of that, right? So there'd be like a cushion factor in there. But I, I, I like the concept. Yeah, so I don't know if if I'll take it any further. I mean, but the ultimate goal, I mean, I get the question all the time, um, is my bow set up enough for elk or whatever? It'd be nice for me to say, with my broadheads, here's some rules of thumb. Um, Yeah. But I don't know if I'll take it that far or not. But that's – anyway, and I didn't really actually mean to to get into that (laughs) right now, but I, I just wanted to say that let's not throw energy out completely, but the, sure. The the negatives with, um, energy is there's energy losses. So any sound and vibration and friction, um, in there are causing, um, some, some losses there. And, and so it's pretty hard to calculate. And the other thing is that if you're just looking at kinetic energy coming off the bow, um, you know, one half MV squared, you can't just take a, a KE number and say, oh, you need a certain KE for a Cape Buffalo or something, because yep. it does matter how much of that comes from mass and how much comes from velocity, because yep. you're going to. And functionally, and, it, it, it does matter that that proportion. It, it affects the inertia levels, you know. Yeah, mass is better than speed um, be, for a few hey, things. Could, but one could is. Could you say that again I'm, for us? mass is better than speed but the product of the the product of the two is important yeah kinetic kinetic energy squares velocity so it kind of gives um you know um an inflated maybe number for it for it because the negatives on velocity um are that you get more drag you know velocity is proportional Drag's proportional yep. to velocity squared. So you get more drag. Yep. So you get more velocity shed when it's going faster. Um, 
Another thing that yep. people don't, another thing I've never heard anybody mention, but I, I believe is true, is that, and, and it's a little bit of a flaw in my push force testing, is that um, typically stuff takes a higher force to shear when you shear it at a higher rate. So if you're cutting through that animal at a faster speed, uh, it probably took, it probably takes more force. Um, yeah. Which, which means it will take a little more energy. So there's some negatives to velocity. Um, um, having that KE from velocity more than more than mass. And that's kind of the whole draw. That's kind of the whole, um, I think, reason why KE um, shouldn't be used as a sole number to decide yeah. if you've got enough en- energy. Or on it's, its, it's, own, it's funny you mentioned that. Go ahead, Oh, I was just going to say, on its own, it's it's not super helpful, right? You start adding in other factors. If I know that you have, say, 70 foot-pounds of kinetic energy and you have a 550-grain arrow, I've, I've got a decent amount of information there. You know, even without yep. actually yep. calculating the momentum, I know that you have a decent level of mass. I know that the inertia is going to be up. You're going to have better retention. Mm-hmm. And you've got a decent layman's terms. What I like to use for people is like for kinetic energy is you've got a decent sized gas tank. So that is, is good, right? Or you've got 70 foot pounds and a 350 grain arrow. That's a different story. Yep. And um, so, I mean, that's kind of the scoop on energy. The only other thing I'll add, and it's it's probably a bit obscure for most people, but from the product fragility testing I've done, um, there's this boundary um, damage boundary curve theory, and where I mean the theory there, and, and this is what we typically see with the product is that, and, and this is talking about how much shock does it take to break something, mm-hmm. and typically. Um, you need a certain amount of force, but you also need a certain amount of energy. So um, in this boundary layer, you need a certain delta velocity um, to go along with that force. And it's kind of, that's kind of like the total energy. And so it's one of the reasons that I, I look at both, what was my momentum with the setup? What was my KE with this setup? What did it do to this bone? And I think, I think there's something there with higher energy will sometimes do something different to the bone than a lower energy. Um, similar Agreed. Momentum. Yeah. And that, and I mean, it's a little bit um, obscure, but there's some. It's funny you mentioned that. We, we talked to a couple of PHs at uh, the Dallas Safari Club this year, and a handful of them said that they were in their clients for whatever reason, and maybe this is part of it, they were consistently getting better penetration results out of 60 pound bows than bows that were higher than that. And I wonder if it's something to do because they were all like, they would recommend like, Hey, if you're going to shoot a 60 pound bow, you have to, you need to shoot a heavy arrow at this Buffalo. And so similar momentum value, but a lower kinetic energy value, lower energy value there. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Yeah. And we'll get a, we should talk about momentum next, but I think that's um, momentum in general is going to give you more penetration and go for the higher momentum 
set up. Yeah. Um, I, I just think there's some kind of subtleties in like the mechanism of breaking. And that's one of the, that's one of the differences in, in my testing, my findings versus Dr. Ashby. And one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to him about it is that, um, and, and, and I ex- actually expected we were going to disagree on some things and we, and we didn't, I mean, great guy to talk to. We talked for over an hour about all these different findings. Like I'd say, I think sharpness and edge retention, you know, far outweighed bevel type in my testing. He's like, I, I totally agree. It's number six or seven on my list. Um, edge finish. Um, yep. and I, and I, and it, and I didn't, quite, I mean, I'd read that before, but I didn't quite take it as that. I, and I'm saying that I think all this work on a harder steel and getting that sharper edge and, and hardness will retain it longer and it slices all the mm-hmm. way through. I see a huge uh, reduction in force from that. And yeah. And he's like, yeah. Oh, Oh, I agree. I didn't have all this, you know, the best deals in sharpening, but um, he was with me on that. So, I mean, that was one well, thing I thought we disagree with where we didn't. Uh, uh, and uh, the other thing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, um, and the other thing I was going to say is that, and that the other thing was breaking bones. You know, he said that the single bevel did a better job of ble- breaching or splitting bone. And mm-hmm. man, I was, I was splitting bone with single bevel or double bevel. It didn't seem to matter. I was breaking this chunk out and the arrow was passing through. And the only thing I can think of there, and I'm actually, I'm actually prototyping some more blades to test it some more is the, maybe the velocity at which it was going through. Um, Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's my, my total energy, total KE might've been higher because I'm definitely going a lot faster in my compound bow than, than his setups. And I think it maybe creates a different mechanism and how that bone, whereas he might've been like doing a slow cut and wedge into the bone. And I'm yeah. more just popping, I'm more popping that thing apart, you know? Yeah. So, um, go, go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, Rob? I, I was just going to comment on the the edge retention and like i know you had touched on mechanical advantage early in the discussion like it i, I guess i wanted to get your take on this i 100 percent agree that that the edge is critical like i've done push force tests before and it there's a significant difference there right um, right but if like looking at like how Doc has it laid out with mechanical advantage being a handful of spots ahead of the edge finish, that in in my mind at least, I mean I've I've read all of his stuff multiple times, but my take I guess is it's looking at all factors equal, right? So if edge finish is equal, so like if you have your heads with the phenomenal edge finish phenomenal retention is there you know a significant benefit changing the mechanical advantage i understand that there's differences with a good mechanical advantage with poor edge versus good edge poor mechanical advantage or or lesser mechanical advantage but there's a cross section there right Right. Um, and, and that's part of what I was trying to do with this push force testing is that I thought, okay, cause, cause just to give you some of the history, I was testing broadheads that had a longer, and, and I knew the Ashby reports. I mean, I read them back in 2006. I, I was testing heads that had 
they had a better, they were longer, you know, more of that three yep. to one ratio, more of that right. three to one ratio, single bevel or double bevel. And then my heads, and I actually expected, well, the force will be lower for these to penetrate, but my, my, my shorter blade has a stronger tip and therefore I'm yep. probably going to do it anyways. And what surprised me is my force to penetrate was, um, typically half these other heads were taking two, two to sometimes three times more force to push through. And, and it, it's totally, um, sharpness is what I kind yeah. of figured out is that. And one it, thing with, with your design that I think plays, and this is outside perspective looking in, but I, I think a big part of that is like your Tonto tip is large enough that it can be properly sharpened. Right. So right, a lot yeah. of Tontos on the market are too small, way too small, small, where even I mean, I hand sharpen all my stuff. I I sharpen for other people. I I'm fairly good at sharpening. But I can guarantee you that I have never gotten a, a typical Tonto tip shaving sharp because there's just not enough room there you don't like it's you can probably do it if you have the right jig but there's just well the other thing is it's um, it's harder yeah it's harder in a a single bevel also i've got uh, i wasn't gonna let this go either but i'm (laughs) i've designed (laughs) this we can edit it out (laughs) It's, you know, we're, we're like, we're three hours in. Nobody's going to listen this far. Into yeah, the we're good. Oh, <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> so I actually, um, I got some input from Dr. Ashby on, on single bevel design, as well as a number of other guys. Cause I want to, I want to go back and test single bevel more now that I can do it like apples to apples, like put my yeah. steel, my edge, my edge on it and then test it. And I mean, my theory right now is that it it isn't going to matter that the force to push through is going to be very similar, very low because mm-hmm. it's very it's very sharp. Um, I think it'll have some rotation to it. Um, yeah, will it breach bone better? Um, that's really what I want to test. And I got some beef bones that are probably close to an inch thick. You know, they're probably like Asian buffalo type. And I'm going to do some. Uh, you know, slow push force and then impact force. Um, yeah. What I, what I, I mean, I want to, I want to prove it to myself. I'm, I'm on a, a continuous, you know, improvement program. Well, here. And, yeah. and, I, and that's the goal so, of all of this. Like anyone that's, that's talked to doc and a lot of people get this wrong. His entire goal was to further archery, to further benefit everyone's knowledge of what creates a lethal setup. There wasn't yep. an agenda there. He was he was reporting his findings. And yeah, even I, in his I, own I, reports, he went back and went, hey, I had this wrong 10 years ago. Yeah, it, I, I agree. He's a he's a good guy. He's trying he is trying to help. When people people should not bash Ashby. He's only showing his data and man, look at the time he's put to try and exactly. make us all try and make yeah. us all lethal hunters. I mean, I, I have total respect for the guy. I love what he's done. My, some of my findings are different. Um, 
and I, I don't. And this get podcasts get long. I don't know if we'll get into it. I don't. I mean, for one thing, I don't. I don't feel like you, there's. You can go as you can go as long as you've got kids. So I mean, you, you can bounce whenever you want. But we will we'll go until you want to stop. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, I'll try to kind of run through the other stuff more quickly. But it, it, one other thing on Ashby is I saw. I said that I didn't see the aspect ratio like three to one versus two to one. I didn't really see that. He's like, yeah, I tested um, three three to one versus 2.6 and I saw no difference myself. And I'm thinking, what? I thought, um, yeah. you know, well, three to one, everybody. Three to one was at least, if I'm remembering correctly. It was the correctly, longest, longest before you ran into uh, normal damage. Yeah, that's from a structural aspect. He couldn't get past <clears throat> three to one without having structural issues so that was okay. his max yeah okay okay but he told me when and he people, tested a little shorter he tested a little shorter he didn't actually see a um a different yeah. any any reduction i guess and and you'll typically have a stronger head yeah 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 and people and, i think people like automatically assume that anything that isn't like a three to one profile has like horrible mechanical advantage and no. that's just simply not true like no. Your heads like still have a good mechanical advantage, like right. like even with their profile the way that they are, you know, being kind of kind of short. But I mean, it's not like you know you don't have the mechanical advantage of a, of a potato there. You right. it's still, still twenty. Guess. I mean, my or twenty two degrees per side, and a three to yeah. one is more like three to one is more like ten degree. But man, that's a super shallow angle. I think about a knife. It is, and you just try you're trying yeah. to cut cut through something. Say cut through a hide with a knife. Um, a ten degree angle. All right. Yeah, it's going to cut really easy. A 20 degree, it's still going to cut really easy. A 30 degree, yeah, it's still going to cut easy. I think, I don't think um, there's that much difference between, say, a 30 degree angle and a 10 degree if you've got a really sharp edge. Um, yeah. I, well, I think there's I think, there's probably some, but yeah. I think that a lot of it comes down to the amount of penetration needed, right? If we're talking most North American game, Honestly, in reality, if you're above a, a one mechanical advantage and you have a a decent arrow weight, it should do fairly well, yeah. assuming that it holds right. together. Right? I mean, there's a lot yep. of really and it has to hold good together. heads. Number one. That are one to one and a half. Right? If you start looking big game, at least personally, I want to be above a two. It's not that I I need. I mean, with my personal setup, I'm I'm throwing a nine fifty plus grain arrow, and I've got nearly a, a slug of force. Structural integrity is my biggest concern, and so yep. I'm not running a three to one, right? I'm I'm running a convex design head that is if you average it out closer to like two and a quarter, it, you know, it's not actually two and a quarter with the actual contour math, but, you know, that approximate length and width. And I'm not concerned with that, but it's significantly stronger and it's the weight that I want. Yeah. So it, and it, it's application specific for me. Yep, and that taunt. The reason I made that tanto tip bigger and brought it back further is I could still have kind of that, 
um, shallow angle on the outside, but yet shorten it up and make it stronger. And exactly. Yeah. The only other thing I'll add on there is I think when people talk about mechanical advantage of it, it's not really wedging an animal wide sideways, you know, it's more wedging through the thickness and cutting. Um, yeah, I, I agree it. I agree it. Um, I don't like these sharp, you know, angles or, or you know, I guess shallow angles to the animal of, of a lot of mechanicals. But um, I also don't yeah. think you need yeah. quite to need yeah. three to one. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on to momentum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, OK, one last thing I'll say on energy is that. Um, <laughs> so the energy at the animal, that force times distance one, yeah, but one thing that will tell you is that if you can cut the force, say, in half, you could double the distance through the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's just how, how energy works, like the work to go through there. So part of my journey here has been how do I reduce that force down? And that's why sharpness at edge retention is so critical. I mean, the force testing, um, we probably won't get we might have to have a second podcast. I don't know, but that's um, perfectly fine, fine with us. <laughs> You're more than welcome to come back. <laughs> yeah, from the from the Iron Will Broadhead took like 11 pounds to go through hide and meet, and um, and then like the three blade chisel points were. Oh, I better bring up the data here so I don't misquote it here. Um, Let's see. I'm I'm looking for it right now. Uh, it was a three yeah. blade. So through hide muscle, it was a, a three blade chisel point was 81 pounds. Um, so eleven, eight times. So eight times. if everything, if everything acted just like hide, um, an iron wheel broadhead would go eight, eight times further through an animal, you know, than a chisel point. That's yeah. why I don't, so that's just, I don't understand. I mean, like, you know, people love those chisel points cause they bust bone, but I don't understand. Suppose I hate them. I, I think, well, I think yeah, they're so, so stupid. In, in marketing theory, they bust exactly. bone, but I don't so understand this, why people are so hung up on it. So go up to your, after you shoot your deer this year with one, take your chisel point and just push it into that hide um, over the hind quarter. I'd have to find a chisel point. <laughs> so I'd, I'd have to find one. I don't have any of those things. <laughs> so, yeah, way more. And and also they, I mean, they kind of tear all the way through that muscle. So that force through the hide is high, but it's also high through the muscle. Um, yep. And then, so the next was one, a three blade, one piece cut on contact. This is a little better through hide, but it still has 60 pounds to push through. Um, and part of that is the sharpness typically isn't great on, and these are, these are fresh out of the package broadheads. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, the sharpness typically isn't that great. And then you also have, a 60 degree angle edge. So yeah, people think, people think about mechanical advantage only kind of the length versus width of the head, but it's really, you should also think about it as the it's edge. Everything. And how does that, how does yeah, that cut? Thing. And, and then the rear deploy mechanical was, it oh. hit 150 pounds and it just crushed <laughs> everything down to the table. <laughs> yep. And it still wasn't going through. Um, <laughs> all right. So, that's hide muscle. Now, when I threw the shoulder bone in there, hide muscle and I have shoulder to send bone. you one of our mechanical suck shirts. Yeah, to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, They're currently so, yeah. back ordered. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Kevin. So when when I uh, when I add the shoulder bone in there, it was taking thirty three pounds for the iron wheel, and um, and surprisingly, this was the S one hundred, S one twenty five, and wide one twenty five, all had very similar forces, and I was trying to. Sh- Proved to myself that the whitehead took more force, and I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm still scratch. I'm still scratching my head a bit, but 
it just tells me again that cutting the 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 ease at which it cuts is so important here. But oh, it, anyway, it I'll is. Move, I'll move on. That that was thirty three pounds, and then I jump up to the three blade chisel point was was the next lowest, but it was one hundred and fifty two pounds. Mm. Um, so five x, and then that three blade, oh, that three blade all? one piece cut on contact <laughs> was three hundred and eighteen pounds. So nearly ten x, and <laughs> and this is what I find with that those the three blade like one piece cut on contact type design. And this this isn't just one manufacturer. There's I've tested at least four out there that are super popular um, heads out there. And what I find when they go into bone and like trying to split that bone in three directions outward, you know, mm-hmm. like three spokes outward at once, it has this wedging effect, I think. And it's man, fighting it takes itself. a, it yeah, takes a ton of force. Yep. And it's so much easier to make that one split through the bone. Um, or in our case, and that's part of the reason why I have that, that um, bleeder set way back. Once that first split is through and then the ferrule starts and then you make a small split crosswise to it, it's almost like, you know, lifting 50 pounds twice instead of a hundred pounds once or something. Yeah. It just well, you, it doesn't you, take the, that much for force. The, the bone is already broken. It's already moving apart. And yep. so you're taking advantage of that energy that's already there in the motion that's already there. And, and typically just, you've and typically you've popped a hole and, and well this is what I yeah. see I've typically you've typically broken out a hole bigger than the blade because there's some breakage there you know happening yeah yeah and then so the rear deploy mechanical with the shoulder blade it never never made it through the shoulder blade but it crushed <laughs> it went up it went over 400 pounds and it it's maxed out it um you know crushed everything down to the table and I had to stop it before I like <laughs> um. Damaged my load table. cell. Yeah, ran through <laughs> table. So you know why? Why would you use mechanical, right? Right. <laughs> we don't know, man. To me. No one. Uh, okay. No one can really explain it to us other than. All right. I so I, I went off on a on a tangent. Now I'm, now I'll talk about <laughs> um, the physics of momentum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And why and why it's better. So momentum, and this is really just the. The second law of motion, force equals mass times acceleration. Um, you can, acceleration is equal to change of velocity over time. Mm-hmm. You know, rearrange that equate, move time over, you get force times time, which is impulse force, but force times time is equal to mass times change in velocity, which is, is change of momentum. Um, you know, so it's fundamental law there. And mm-hmm. so, and what's better about it is it's, um, these are vector quantities, so they're along a line, along yep. a trajectory. You know, they have a direction yep. associated with them. So um, it's a better prediction of how much penetration you'll get. Momentum is a much better prediction than KE for that reason. So if you think about, if you want to go from the momentum standpoint, at the bow, you have a force over time giving some impulse. And if you had that force time curve now, that that should equal to the momentum of the arrow leaving the bow. Um, and then you have some velocity loss. It, so you have arrow drag. And this is, this is, again, why mass is better than velocity here as well in momentum is that, um, you know, you're going to have a higher drag. As we talked about already, you'll have a higher drag with higher velocity. So you get yep. more, yep. you get more retained momentum. Well, two things. You get, you get more, um, you know, in terms of energy, you get more, 
efficient bow, so you get more energy right there. And you'll see this in momentum yeah. too. You'll get more more momentum um, if you take mass times velocity. And, and everybody should do this for themselves. I mean, take your bow. I did this again recently. I've got, I'm two, setting up two bows right now. I have arrows that are uh, 450, 480, 500, 530, 550 grains. And I, it may be a bit excessive, but I shoot them all through the chronograph a couple of times. I write down the mass, the velocity, and I look at the momentum. And, and you know, what I, what I see is typically like 20, 30 grains of mass. I'm getting a, a few percent increase in momentum. And so adding mass is, is better. And the only reason that I don't go, you know, typically I'm, I'm going to shoot probably 530 this year. Why well, don't know get higher? It's just a trajectory thing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, sure. trying to, I'm trying yeah. to get a certain trajectory, but anyway, that force, um, yeah, force time is momentum. And then at the, at the animal, you have some retained momentum and a higher mass will give you more retained because you have less, less drag. So that's also yep. why it's better. But if you know that momentum, when it hits the animal, okay, that gets converted to an impulse, which is force times time or this area under the force time curve. So, uh, so really what can you do to improve penetration? You can increase the force of your bow. And it should be a relatively one-to-one. -one. Like if you can shoot 10% higher, you get maybe 10% more increase. Or shoot a bow that sure. has that force time curve is higher. Um, so you get more momentum leaving the bow. You can increase your retain momentum by increasing your mass. Um, or, or, you know, shooting veins that have less drag. Anything that can increase that mass times momentum, mass times velocity um, product. Or at the animal, Which, you can reduce. By the, the way, you to just penetrate. go ahead. Uh, I, we, oh, you you just touched on something. That I just want to I want to call out to where people don't waste their money. Uh, I don't. I I hope you're not friends with this guy who owns this company. But I bought those tack veins, and supposedly, like you're supposed to gain like x amount of FPS over a certain amount of distance. It's crap. It's crap. <laughs> it's not. It's 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 not true. And they can't hold a shape to save their life. Don't waste your money on those things. <laughs> oh my god! I, I've I heard that from uh, a few people. I haven't actually tested those. I do have. Um, I do have four different arrow. I do have four different. I love. I love the. Right I love the idea of them, but execution just wasn't there. Sorry to go on a rant there for a second. Continue. Yeah. I got sidelines I could go on on veins too, but um, we'll, we'll <laughs> that, 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 that's part two. That's part two. <laughs> yeah, I'll, we can get this. I don't think there's a difference between a, an offset and a helical. If I because I tried to model yeah. a vein to do a fluid fluid dynamic modeling, and I'm thinking mm -hmm. how would I, how mm -hmm. am I going to model this vein? Well, if you take a straight line down a down a cylinder, offset it at say two degrees, wrap it around that cylinder, that's a helix. So. Yeah. What really? What is the difference between an offset and a helical? To me, it's it's I the mean, amount of geometry offset. wise. It's a different. You buy a different clamp that that wraps around your arrow, and it's 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 made to make a helix for a certain diameter arrow. Yeah. So you can buy a different a straight versus a helical clamp. But I mean, from a geometry standpoint, an offset vein wrapped around a cylinder is a helix. So, I mean, to me, they're really yep. the same thing, but yeah. Yep. I, Agreed. I, I agree. And <laughs> okay. Uh, what, 
All right. So the momentum, you know, at the animal is converted to force over time on the arrow or f that force time is slowing down the arrow. So again, reducing the force um, can, if you cut the force in half, you can double the time through. So anyway, I think people miss that part of it that, and, and that's kind of what I've, that, that was the light bulb going on to me over the years where we increased our yeah. sharpness from from when I first did them by hand, the first 200 by hand with knife sharpening kits to like oh, refining God. our sharpening process <laughs> and getting, you know, initially I could, I could shave hair and I'd measure that under a, a high power microscope. And I was still getting about a thousandth of an inch radius on that, but I could shave hair with it. So I was thinking, you know, that that's really good. Um, <laughs> but now, now I don't see, I mean, we're dead sharp to 10 thousandths of an inch and man, yeah. that makes a big, that makes it a big difference in force. It does. So, well, and one thing yeah. that I don't think that we've touched on is, and it, the, is looking at impact made me think of this is the less actual transfer at impact, right? So the sharper the head, the more efficient that impact Yep. The less energy transfers to the animal, the less that it's felt. And this is something that a lot of guys get blown away by the first time that they use a more efficient setup is animals don't react the same. Like if you're using a quality setup, that's that's a purposefully efficient. That arrow hits, passes through, and in a lot of cases, you don't get the big, like, kick and sprint, right? And right. I think I I, th I think I heard you mention something along this line earlier, but that is not a, an uncommon occurrence when you start using efficient setups. Like they react a little bit they might trot a few yards and then 20 30 yards from where they were hit they're tipping over yeah, i don't even know what happened yeah there have, was no giant know, I, adrenaline rush like right it's a different scenario i, <clears throat> I have yet to have a uh, a white tail that's been hard to find after i shot it with these broadheads cuz seriously Christ. I had like eight in a row that died, that died in sight. And then I shot one. Was it, it was two years ago. In the last two years, I've shot ones where, where I had a single long liver and, but they died within a hundred yards and it, there was a yeah. lot of blood. Um, but yeah, the ones that, um, yeah, I think that less shock to them, their adrenaline doesn't kick up. They're more likely mm -hmm. to like run 10 yard, 10, 15 yards. Like what, what was that? Oh, I, exactly. I can't, you know, I can't feel my toes anymore. And then they drop over, you know, <laughs> shot an antelope frontal two years ago. And when I let go of the arrow, like I was confused. I thought I missed because, you know, antelope took two steps, was looking around like I heard something, took three more steps and then just legs went out and it tipped over and was spewing blood everywhere. I was like, oh, I didn't miss. OK, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I get that a lot. Like I say it. I thought I missed my elk, but I zipped through them so quick. Yep, it happens yep. a bit. And, yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to uh, a bit more on on two more 
yeah. things that are really, really related to mass and velocity that I kind of feel like um, are some misconceptions that I don't think you guys actually think wrongly about these, but I think I hear it enough with customers I want to talk about. It. And one is the 650 grain threshold. Um, to me, it's there, there's no threshold. There's no step change. It's a continuous improvement with mass and momentum. Um, but that mass, um, increasing that mass from 500 to 550 to six, 600, you're, you're increasingly improving your retained momentum in your yeah. penetration. And there really isn't, and, and you can't say, and I'll, and Ashby doesn't really say it this way, but this is the way people talk about it. You can't say, oh, you need a 650 grain arrow to breach bone. Well, come on guys. Yeah, certainly, so not, here, certainly not here's, true. Here's the physics. We just talked about it. It's change of momentum equals force over time. Yep. Mass by itself, if velocity is zero, there's no force. If velocity is 10 feet per second, there's extremely little force. So you really need, I mean, if you're going to quote, you need 650 grains, you should at least give me a range of velocities um, <laughs> you're talking about. Um, or, you know, so it's missing velocity. It's also missing, well, what bone are we talking about? Because different yep. bones take different amounts of force. Well, and that's and- a big part of it. You look at, you know, the majority of the the bone data from Doc, and I guess off the top of my head, this is probably going to be wrong, but I want to say that the majority of the early setups were between like 140 and like 170 feet per second. Um, and that 650 was, well, one, it was 650 with a near three to one with great structural integrity with over 19% front of center with a good feral to shaft ratio, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. And it was at that point for Buffalo ribs that he saw static, static, static Buffalo ribs that he saw near a hundred percent consistency. And even in his papers, he says that he had bone breach at significantly lower weights. It just wasn't oh, yeah. as yep. consistent. <clears throat> right. Right. But now, yeah. and I had the cover, I had the conversation with him as well a few weeks ago and, and you're exact, you're exactly right. And I believe his data, but it's, and, and you're exactly right. It's if you're doing what he's doing, a longbow in those ranges, heck yeah do every do all 12 steps i mean go for that 650 because he already proved that's what works really well with that setup and and i've got no problem with guys doing it in in modern compound bows either the only time i have a problem with it is and i see this with customers is they'll sacrifice um arrow flight for it um oh yeah no (laughs) and so that and i think we all agree that arrow flight you can't sacrifice arrow flight arrow flight is very important Yeah, yeah yeah So, like so on structural this, on integrity this note, are at the top for a reason. Exactly. Yep. On this yep. note, I do have a question. I want your, your take on it. So in Doc's reports, I want to say it was in either the 2004 or the 2008 reports. Um, he was looking at bone breach and he was looking at a, applied force. And he had 
consistent results with both a 40 pound bow and an 80 pound bow holding all other factors the same that both of them became near 100% around that 650 point now from from a physics standpoint i completely agree with you that if if 650 is that that number then there needs to be a speed and a relate a force related to that right there's there's ties there but how right. how do you I guess, you know, when, take whenever something that part yeah whatever uh whenever something doesn't agree with physics i i question okay either we got we're either we're applying the science wrong we're, we're not thinking of something here yeah um or or it's false um but you know i i think doc's a good guy i think what he's reporting you know, I don't think he'd report something he did fine. Um, he probably had more energy than he needed with a higher one. I mean, because it really doesn't make sense. That's that's double. Well, <clears throat> that's double the he, impulse he, force, right? Yep. Um, now, here here's my my thought: is we we know that the resistances are are significantly impacted by velocity, and we know that the actual impact that that resistance to impact is going to affect shaft flex so in my head the lower pound bow because both of them weren't consistent below 650 and became consistent above but the higher pound bow likely had more impact flex, which is redirecting the applied force, right? It's not as linear. And it was encountering yeah, got, greater resistance, right? We need to get into, we need to talk about FOC next now. <laughs> it, yes. <laughs> and, and, and that plays into it, right? Because if, if FOC is held constant for those two, then that that's a potential scenario. If you start playing with FOC, now that alters where the nodes are, that alters how the shafts are flexing at impact. There's, a, yeah, that's a whole other ball of wax. <clears throat> yeah, let's all right. Let's come back to that. Let's talk. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about. Let's talk a little bit about FOC because um, I've been, I've been after that. I've been trying to understand that better myself for, for years and. Uh, because the the physics doesn't really support that higher FOC could give you higher penetration, at least at a at a let's say um, a simplified level. Yeah, like a formula. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. in in like clean hits, at least from from the reports, it it really doesn't make a significant impact, right? Where he yeah. saw the impact the the most was post breach yeah i think i i also think people yeah he told me the same thing and it kind of surprised me that it didn't affect penetration unless there was a heavy bone and i thought wow there's so many people out there quoting misunderstanding that, um, it 
you need the yeah, high FOC yeah. for penetration. And he said, no, no. it didn't make a difference. Um, no, because, so, because the FO, FOC helps the impact flex yep. and that, that happens well, on it's, bone. At least my understanding of it is a, as the center of gravity moves forward, your nodes are moving. You, you have two major nodes. And so as that front node continues to move forward, you're going to be changing how the shaft flexes how how it moves once it's under stress yeah i mean it depends on which mode you excite i mean the it, initial it, it does yeah the first mo- it, the first mode of vibration is is like yeah bending in half and then you got uh, more of an s and then you got a trilobe um you know, and you could do a modal analysis. So I could do a modal analysis right now on an arrow, and I've played around a little bit with that. What if I change the the stiffness of the shaft and just add the mass up front? How does that change my modal frequency? Um, let me uh, let me talk about that this for let me let me yeah, explain my yeah. whole thinking on this. So in, in general, um, high FOC. I mean, the physics wouldn't say the high FOC would increase penetration because it's just that force times time. Yeah. Mass it, is mass. Yeah. It's change of change of momentum is force times time. And it's all in a straight line. You know, now if we just assume that arrow is going in a straight line, when it hits the animal FOC should not matter. Like on my yeah. arrow, um, if, if my, so my arrow right now, it's about 16% FOC. If I, if I move that up, if I, um, move that center mass two inches forward. So if I move it from, I think it was uh, 19 inches from the back up to 21 inches from the back, I would get that 23 FOC. So I'd go from that um, high to extreme, yep. which um, mm-hmm. a- Ashby would say that's, a, I think, a 40% increase in penetration. So I struggle with that because it's not in that formula, right? If it's yeah. If the momentum's in a straight line, if the arrow's going straight, you wouldn't see that. So right away, I thought, I bet his testing is due to shooting um, a, a longbow at relatively close to where, I mean, FOC does a lot of good things for you. It makes the arrow recover faster. It makes the, typically your your spine is stiffer and has lower yep. mass in, in the arrow. So you're your vibration, your resonant frequency of vibration is higher. So your, any of the vibrating and, uh, you know, the oscillating from the paradox is done faster. Um, It's faster. Yeah. 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 So very good chance. So that's the way I've justified it is that his findings were probably because his arrow is going so much straighter with high FOC at that close range with a traditional archery. And -hmm. that's why he saw the better penetration. And that's still kind of my thinking on it. I mean, that's the first level. Then you can get into, all right, let's dig into the, what other physics things could be going on here. And yeah, one of them is um, on that impact, what happens to that arrow? And another thing is that if that arrow is not perfectly straight and you've got the more of the mass up front and less of it at the back, it's going to, it's going to, do a less of bending that arrow off to the side. You're going to have less deviation. Yeah. If you had, if you got like 50 grains at the back, 
it's going to want to bend that arrow over more. Yeah, it's going to whip. If, that that mass right. yeah, yeah. is going to want to keep moving. Yep. So um, so that's the other thing, this FOC threshold. Man, the physics don't really say that. But then as I've talked to him, well, that's not really what he was saying. He was saying it on a bone. And, and so, you know, the mechanism there, there's a lot going on there. It's an impact. Velocity affects it. Um, the yeah. total energy, yeah. I think, affects it. That FOC, I don't doubt it for his setup. I just don't. It's not. Well, I don't think you can apply it yet, and that's why I I was shooting yeah. like sixteen percent FOC and five fifty grain because I don't. Um, and the other, the other thing I should say here is that you know my, my momentum adding thirty grains got me a three percent momentum increase. Well, that should be a three percent penetration increase. But yet I know about the force of my broadhead, if it's a third as much, I'm getting three times the penetration. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm already getting, I mean, there's different ways to go about yeah. getting that higher, higher penetration. So, yeah. Well, and that's yeah. with the FOC for, for me, I mean, you're looking at, you, you touched on launch, right? How it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of studies that have been done on center of gravity and flight. Uh, there's a ton of data out there on that. Um, and rocketry specifically. If yeah. I mean, rocketry <laughs> planes like, yeah. So I'm here. Let me give you my take on that. If, if you want to hear it, Yeah, go for it. <laughs> or yeah. I mean, go, go, I may interrupt you if, but I've, I, I've dug into yeah. that as well. And um, so, you know, I was working with the engineers at Easton and I'm, I was asking because I was licensing the hit and I'm asking why, why do you guys recommend 12 to 16%? I mean, why not? It's what happens when you go higher? All right. What happens when you go higher? And I've, uh, you know, a little bit of research. Everything stops working. <laughs> you know, it, it, and there's no thresholds here. Everything's kind of a continuous change. You know, there is this this data out there that, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, like a javelin in the 1980s. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They started going too far and hitting too flat. So they changed the design. They moved the center of mass up an inch and a half. And it reduced the total flight on average by 10%. And it made it nosedive more so it would stick into the ground and be safer. Um, so there's so there's some, you know, there's some, uh, I guess, evidence from that. But in talking to, anyways, the East End, they're like, you got to talk to uh, Greg Tech, Tekmachop. Um, yeah. He, he'll go through this with you. So, so I call him up. We talk through it. And uh, wh- what he explained is that, and this is why most of their target archers, like long-range shooters, don't do more than 16% or so is what they've kind of, kind of be a sweet spot, is that FOC increases and gets higher. Um, you, you have a little bit more of a nosediving effect, and you know I'm asking him why. And he's saying it's you get a negative – we see a negative lift. Um, and I, at first I wasn't buying it because, I mean, I'm aware of lift when you have an airfoil. Yeah. And it's, asymmet- it's asymmetric. It can cause lift. but um, you know, I, I had to dig into it afterwards, honestly, and research it some more. And it's, yeah, it's kind of rocket science. Uh, it, it would happen on a, you know, a missile or, or an arrow to where um, when you're, when the arrow isn't pointing in the same direction of travel, exactly, there's a little bit of an angle offset. Um, you know, you get some, you get some drag from the veins, yep. bringing it back. You get drag from the veins, but you also get this lift, which is you get this force, um, this pushing the arrow 
you know, up or down from that, from that axis of travel. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the, it's because of the pressure variation over a cylinder that's at an angle to flow. Yeah. Um, so, it, and what's happening and, and it still wasn't obvious to me, well, why does this, why does it make it go up and not just, why, why would this make it go down and not up? Right. And so what's, what's also happening here is you've got the force of gravity um, pulling the arrow down. So the trajectory, I mean, the arrow just wants to go straight on forever. If there wasn't gravity, it would. But with this arrow yeah. gravity, this gravity pulling it down, the trajectory is now at this arc going downward. So there's always a little bit of a correction from... Um, from the tail. Oh, from the... Yeah, the arrow um, is, is not going directly along this line. There's this correction that keeps happening. And higher FOC actually corrects it quicker but you get less lift from it and so a lighter arrow will will sail a little bit further and i i've, I've seen this once um where i had a, an fmj arrow with a 100 grain head and i had maybe a 10 i had a 10 percent maybe but man that setup compared to my heavier setups was um it was like it was gonna go forever uh, and that was my impression that huh and in general i think in the range of most people's arrows it's not really a big deal yeah. but anyway that's that's a long story short of why um i haven't pushed to extreme foc and why i might not want to now if you shoot if your whole world's like under 40 yards don't worry about that guys um but if you're and and i think even he told me that 60 yards and under, don't worry about it. It's that longer range stuff. And I think it's still a pretty small effect. And it's not like, yeah. a, it's not a cliff. It's probably a continuous right. thing. And, you know, it only changed, um, you know, it might not change very much, but that's some of the, I guess, some of the rocket science there. Yep. But there's, yep. there's a lot of really good things about, um, you know, stability is better with higher FOC. And that's why, I don't like some of the heavier arrows on the market. They're coming out saying you only need arrow mass. Yeah. You don't need no FOC. Yeah. You don't need no FOC well, or whatever. And from, like, I mean, high, from a broadhead yeah. flight standpoint, uh, having, I guess, in my opinion, more than 14, 15% makes things a lot easier. Way easier. With you know, broadheads in today's bow speeds to have consistent a, flight between field points and broadheads and having everything clean and matched. Yeah, I do think there's, um, I do think there's like a continuous improvement as you increase, as you increase your FOC point, you can get by with less vein cause you got a less yep. lever arm, you know, you, you model it, um, you know, as a simplified engineering model, it's going to pivot around that center of mass and you got a longer level arm out of your veins. So you need a little, a little less vein. And, but it's, and for me, uh, from a 16% to a 23% was a two inch change over 19 inches. So about a 10% change in that lever arm. So I yeah. can't like get rid of, I can't get rid of my veins. I could probably get by with 10% less drag in my veins. Right. Yeah. But um, yep. I think that's, and, and, like that, when and that's kind of continuous, do... I'd say. We've talked about that, I mean, more than once that like, you know, when people start to push their FOC, they don't want to change their vein configuration. 
So then they start to see, you know, they'll have poor flight because they don't think to change the vein. They just add the they'll FMC. They'll have like they, tail wave. You know, the, yeah, it'll tune. But once you start to shoot those longer distances or if you have a crosswind, it flies like shit. But they don't put two and two together, which I don't like one of my best, you know, one of my best flying setups that my fly forever setups was actually like 22%. And it was going around. It's like a 570 grain arrow going around like 275, 280, I think. And it, that thing would just go. And I don't know what that was. I don't know. But I, I also had that bow tuned to shooting a bear shaft to 70 yards. Perfect. And I, and I can't do that with other bows that I have now. So, <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> it, do you know what arrow mass you're at? Total arrow mass? Uh, I think it was 570. And I had like two fifty five up front. Yeah, I think I think a lot of guys would be surprised in what little velocity loss you do get yeah. when you add yeah. when you add weight. And for some guys, like some guys will add, um, say our our ten grain collar, and I mean most of them never have to change their points at all for that. Some yeah. guys will add a twenty five yeah. grain. Some guys will add a twenty five grain head. And the, it'll hit this. And I've seen this before with some of my setups. Um, I can add 25 grains and I didn't have to adjust my sight. And it's, it's, um, and, and it depends on each bow because it's mm-hmm. what, what you realize from doing that is, and, and that's why I like to do this mass times velocity um, at different weight arrows. You realize that, damn, my bow was not very efficient with this <laughs> yeah. lighter, faster arrow. And as yeah. I got into the, as I get into the, um, 500 grain 530 550 you know you you can keep well, going and, and you're and you're gonna and, have less um change in velocity as you go it's just yep, yep. what what velocity do you um do are you, you comfortable and, with yeah and yep. if i was gonna go shoot and and i do this once in a while i, I know i had a a bear hunt where i know my shot was gonna be 30 yards and under i'm gonna throw a, i'm gonna throw some more mass at this guy um because it will increase penetration. It's just, yeah. and so I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's, and, and I don't want to be thought of as that, Hey, Bill's saying, if you do 650 grains, you're dumb. No, I'm not at all. I mean, it's uh, I just don't do it. Don't well, sacrifice arrow flight and know what you're doing when you do it. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, it's, it's difficult to the setup. do it right. Cause like, and we kind of touched on this before, but like m- myself, shooting an 80 pound bow with a 30 inch draw. I can shoot a 650 faster than most guys shoot a 450. Exactly. And And that's, that's that's not a detriment to me. Right. And that's why my mass, and that's why my mass goes up whenever my bow gets more efficient. You know, my mass has steadily gone up over the years. And, and you're right. If you're, you can if you if you got a lot of energy there, you can you can throw a lot of mass out there at pretty decent speed for sure. Yeah, oh, I'm like yeah. you. I'm I'm like you, Bill. I have a you know I have a set not a set trajectory, but I have a a speed range that I like to be in. I don't want to be I don't want to be below 265, but the closer I can get to 280, the happier I am. Just because you know, just in case I have those long shots, and I shoot long distance every day that I shoot anyway, so I'd just rather. Like and I know that trajectory, but you know, yeah, Rob's you're familiar with it. At, yeah, Rob's comfortable at two thirty. I'd miss everything well, if and, it were over fifty yards. And 
I shoot long range, but I, I intentionally worked myself lower and lower and lower for the sake of knowing, okay, at what point does this get like just stupid for me? Yeah. And, and for me personally, and I guess I shoot traditional as well. So slow speeds is not weird for me, but with a sight, once I broke under 200, I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but having done that, I bumped back up to, to the 230s, and I'm very happy. And, like, if I run a lighter setup and I'm in the 250s, 260s, light, lighter for me, that's light speed, right? right. And that's because that's what I'm used to. But at yep, 230, yep, for sure. I can still, I've got my, my fast eddy double pin. I can still get my top pin to 90 yards at 226 feet per second. Yeah, you're, like, you're a rare, you're a rare guy. <laughs> no, I, I, I know, I know. And that's, I, I throw that out there with customers and stuff, just going, Depending on your setup, it you know, don't be afraid of going to a 500 grain arrow. Like, yeah, it, yeah it is I, not- I agree. And and for me, it's it's um, I'm shooting um, and I keep I kept adding mass till I hit 280, and I was at 530 grains going 280. I, I like yeah that speed. Um, I'm I'm okay with going on to 270. It's just I, I like the 280. I I've shot it a lot, so. I kind of know how much I'm going to miss by if I'm off by a yard or two. If that, yep. right. I range that, I range that animal. He kept moving. I put the rangefinder down and I drew though. I'm guessing in the yardage. Um, uh, I know I'm within a couple. Let it fly. I, I, yeah. I, I like that trajectory, and that's that's why I don't want to go a lot well, slower. And at that it, long it's, range it's shooting, it's funny because the setup that I'm running right now worked out w- with my double pin worked out perfectly because the the double pin is two fixed pins on a single post and you have double pointers on the tape and if i put my top pin to 20 my second pin is at 32 the top of the bubble is the same distance from the second pin as the first pin is to the second pin and yep. that's at 41, that right? But okay. the, the thing is, is because of how high my mass is, my gaps are extremely consistent. I go from, so that 20 to 30 is 12 yards, or I guess first pin to second pin at 20 is 12 yards. If I go 80 to 90 with top pin, second pin, it's 80 and 89. Yeah. So I mean, no that matter makes where sense. I put yep. my pin, I know that the, the equidistant gap above my top pin is 10 yards short. I know that I'm 10 yards long second pin and I'm 20 yards long at the top of the bubble. And so even though I'm going what most people consider extremely slow, I can put my pin wherever I want and I have a a very clear picture of where to hold for a 30 yard range. Yeah. yeah. Like 
I can I can let stuff walk and not be concerned with it as long as I know a you know a rough distance of where I was starting. Yep, you start slower, but you don't drop in velocity like you would. Exactly, uh, go yep. faster. Yeah, because yeah. that drag, drag force, that drag force, it's drag you yep. know, <laughs> F equals ma. You got more mass. Uh-huh. You're gonna get less deceleration. So yeah, yep. mass is constant. Yep, it makes, and that's. Makes I mean, I'm on the far extreme end of everything, but I think that it's it's a fun example. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, one my, thing I one thing I haven't seen. I hear this out there a bit too that a heavier arrow will actually start hitting higher at some distance. Um, I, it's probably not gonna happen just shooting standard veins. I think if you had a lot of drag, that could certainly happen. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, I haven't seen that be the case. It's, you know, the gravity acts, the acceleration of gravity is the same on everything. So it's really just, what's the amount of time it took your arrow to get to that target. Yeah. And that's, that's how much it's going to drop. And if, if you start slower and, and end slower, um, if that air, other arrow starts faster, maybe it ends at the same speed. Um, it's still going to, have less drop because it got there faster overall yeah. and well there, and there's some it, there's some point there's, at which that may turn over but i haven't i haven't seen it myself yeah and that's the launch angles change and uh, there, there's a lot of other factors there because i mean as much as that that heavy setup is very consistent if i drop down to my my 500 grain arrows that i use for like normal 3d i've got more range <laughs> like yep no yep, doubt yep <laughs> right <laughs> so it's you know it, it's yeah, a I give switched, and take. Uh, well dra- drag is a big effect i just i changed from one vein to another on an arrow and i and i mean it looks the same it's the same thing the dimensions are almost the same and i i shot two arrows over my 100 yard target i'm like what the heck <laughs> what just what's going happened? on and um the drag is difference, the stiffness of them different. Yeah, it's like a foot, a, about a foot and a half difference. Um, yeah, hmm. there's a stiffness wow. difference to them. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, well, generally speaking, like if if someone gets in the in the neighborhood of 500 or above for anything like north, you no know, normal North America, and you've got a, a solid head up front you're you're pretty solid as long as you've got your bases yeah. covered with with flight quality and durability like that's where like the setups that you're describing for yourself bill are are great for what you're doing like that i i have no issue with that i i would bump up if i was going after something huge but yeah so oh, so would i <laughs> right um, yeah. and so that's where depending on what you're doing adjust your mass and and that's like the whole kinetic energy momentum thing. Honestly, f- at least from a physics standpoint, for me, it boils down to mass. If we look to root cause, it's mass because your bow is basically static, right? It is what it is. Yes, it's going to gain efficiency, but is, you know, four or five foot pounds of kinetic energy a game changer out of a single bow. Not necessarily, but yeah, I I agree. I think it's, and Ashby stated this well, actually, if you read his, his 12 points, I think, I think he says, go at the highest mass you can for the trajectory you want. Exactly. 100%. And that, 
Yep. That's what I tell everybody all the time. <laughs> go, go with the highest mass you can with the trajectory you want. If if yep. their concern is if their concern is penetration, they're coming to me because they're maybe it's their wife or their kid or yep. they're, they're dropping. They're an older and they're dropping down poundage. Um, what should I do? I'll say go to the highest mass you can with the trajectory you want and go and te- don't buy my broadheads yet. Go buy some field points or you know, use different arrows and yep. go, go shoot, test it out, see, figure see, out what oh, you want. Cause, cause you're probably going to find out, Oh, I can add 25 or 50 grains and yeah, don't hit that much lower. It's not really that it's not the big a deal. I thought it was. Um, yeah. And that, and then you're better off. So yeah, exactly. It's like one of my biggest, a lot of guys, biggest bow hunting. a lot of guys can't, I mean, most people really cannot tell the difference between, 300 and 280 unless they're shooting long range but like normal hunting distances you know 50 and in you're you can't you can't really tell no it's difficult i think that's probably one of my one of my biggest bow hunting pet peeves is when people and you always see it on social media it's you know setting up my wife or my girlfriend or my daughter or something like that what broadheads or what tips should i use what's and the lightest broadhead like, that that's yeah, out there everyone everyone's like 85 grains 85 grains 85 grains i'm like no you're going backwards <laughs> like mass becomes more important if you have less force to begin with and yeah i just can't can't understand that i i totally agree i see too many people going light with their kids and um i mean i had my kids shooting 450 grains when they were shooting pretty light pretty light setup uh, bow and uh, more might even been better, but you know, they wanted to shoot 40 yard targets with yeah. me. So I tried to make yeah. something that would, that would work. As so. comfortable as you can get at your trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, Bill, is there, is there anything else on the physics portion that you want to cover? No, that was really it. Um, I just think there's some misconceptions out there and uh, I, I, I hope, I hope, I, I hope ta- hashing through that was helpful. And, and, and I'm not stubborn about, I'm pretty open-minded. If somebody has some physics that I'm not thinking about here that should be applied, please let me know. Cause it was pretty hard to figure all this out for myself to hear. I mean, I don't see a lot of, um, a lot of data out there. So, I mean, I've given you my take from, you know, from the physics I know and, and way I, I can think of applying it. And, th- and there's some little other subtleties I'm not going to go into because they're even more in the woods. But um, <laughs> if if you're a physics professor out there listening, you got something, tell me, please uh, use our contact us form on our website. Say, I got a question for Bill. And it'll come right to me. And actually, anybody can ask a question. And, um, and I, you know, I'd love to hear about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So would we well, actually. That's, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Uh, uh, I have uh, a, I mean, m- slightly, I don't know what we're going to go to from here, but. Uh, what are people bugging you for now since you <laughs> squashed their woes um, with the wide cut? Yeah. <clears throat> well, single, there's still a, a pretty big single bevel following. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the people that have found the Ashby reports and read them, um, a lot of times what they carry away from that is single bevel, 650 grain. Um yeah, we don't know and, why that why those are the most and, important things to them. We and, haven't figured it out yet either. Yeah, and um, you know, and when I talked to Ashby, and I told him, man, single bevel, or double bevel, it 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 doesn't matter much. It was more about sharpness of edge retention, and he agreed with me. And he said it was, 
it's really this bone breach thing. And I'm like, well, how thick a bone are we talking about? He's like, like an inch or more thick, like uniform bone. And, and I'm thinking, well, how often does that really happen in North America? Right. For one, well, but, yeah. um, anyway, the single bevel thing I get asked for a lot. And that's actually why I've, I've got prototypes coming. I'm still working on, you know, how do I, um, get the best edge on that. And I'm not actually planning to offer them for sale. Um, and I'm going to get some of you guys to be one, some of my testers, if you're interested. And I'm going to oh, play yeah. some with some people, Always. play some with some people <laughs> to, to test. Like what twisting I, my arm here. But <laughs> what I like to do is um, <laughs> I like to test some products, look at the results, maybe iterate on the design if needed. Um, I, I'm not one of these companies that comes right out to market with whatever they thought yeah. up in their head whatever they thought up to get, you know, get some sales and then maybe it sucks and often it does. And like a year later, nobody wants it, but they made good money that year because it was new. Um, well, that's how the whole so I know industry I'm, operates really. It yeah. is. People will like, um, I'll say, well, when is your new head coming out? Well, our very first ones are due next week and then we're going to start shipping them. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to test, you don't want to test those <laughs> things at all. Huh? <laughs> so, before we wrap up here, I, I wanted to touch on something just because it, it just kind of got brought up again is um, the, the single versus double bevel and sharpness. So the one thing that I really like with your heads is you've got, I, I believe, a 19 degree grind. Right. Yep. 19%. Right. Yep. Is it 19%? 19 per side, per side, per side. Okay. I was like percent. Wait. Okay. No. Okay. So that is from a sharpness aspect, that's significantly better than a lot of the heads out there. It is. It's a significant, it's a lot, lot sharper than a lot of heads out there. Yep. And, and part of the reason that you can do that is because of the durability of your material. Um, but that's one reason a lot of guys we're looking at single bevel is if I've got a 30, like a 25 to a 30 degree single bevel compared to a double bevel that's at, say, a 25 degree angle, you know, per side. Right. Everything else equal, there's a bit of a sharpness difference there. Yeah. And so. I, the reason I went with double bevel over single, I mean, singles, um, it's less work to do. It's fewer grinds. It's actually cheaper to make probably. Um, it's way cheaper to make. Yeah, I know it's way cheaper to make actually. And, <laughs> so, and, and I feel like at first I thought that's why manufacturers are pushing them. But I think, um, anyways, the reason I went with double bevel I like it better. I can, I can grind back and forth. I mean, I could sharpen it like I would a, a knife. And yeah, if you're in a, if you're into knife sharpening, you know, you go finer and finer and you're working that burr smaller and smaller until you just get this, you know, s- super fine, sharp edge to it. Um, and, and, and yeah, you need a good steel to do that. And that's what that 60 mm-hmm. rock will see it. It's, so 60 rack will see that compressive strength is, is in that 300,000 PSI, you know, they, they correlate together, hardness and compressive strength. Yeah. And, and so you can have a very strong, very, very sharp little point. And with the single bevel at a 25 grain, it's weaker 
than a double bevel with the with a 19 yep. per side because that's a, that's a 38 Agreed. degree, right? Yep. So um, it's not as strong of an edge. So I like the double bevel for being being able to get a very strong, very um, sharp that combination of yep. sharp durability, sharp strong edge. Um, yep. That's why I did. Well, it. I think, yeah. And and I guess I wasn't questioning why you did it. I was saying that. With your material, you were able to go much shallower than a lot of other heads on the market, which is a big reason why you get the sharpness level that you do. Yep. And so, like your heads compared to most single bevels, the sharpness differential, if if materials were equal and finish is equal, wouldn't be nearly as great as a lot of the other double bevel heads because you're looking at i mean a lot of the single bevels are round about 30 degrees and you're at 38 right compared to other heads that are at 50 to 60 there are some that are at 80 you know so there there's a wide range there i started bigger too um yeah, I started more in that 25 degree, then I went to 22, and then 19, and I had to go to better and better steels throughout yeah, that. Well, but and and if, you have to. Yeah, and but what I was thinking is, I mean, what would I, what do I do on my hunting knife? It's like 20 degree typically, 19 or 20 yep. degree, um, and that that's what I wanted to put in this broadhead, and it was a bit of a challenge to do that and also take a high impact, and that's really what what the A2 steel, um, why that was needed to be able yeah. to do that. Well, it's, I, I think that, you know, it, it came together really well. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a impressive design that you, you came up with. So, well, thank yeah, you. Agreed. I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I've, I listened to a few of your podcasts and I thought, uh, you know, I like the premise here, lethal, you know, trying to help people become more lethal. I like the stuff you're doing. So that's why, um, yeah, I contacted Good. you and said, "Hey, hey, we should get together and dig into some of the some of the physics here." Yeah, sure. hey, yeah, and no, glad glad we we're able to. This has been a phenomenal discussion, and I I know without even saying it that there's a whole lot more that we could talk about. So, oh, yeah. if you ever want to come yeah. back, just let us know, and I'm sure that we'll be up for a round two. Because this yeah. has been great. Well, this I I think I'm going to go ahead and split this one into a two parter. I don't know too many people that look at three hour and seventeen minute <laughs> yeah. podcasts. And they're like, we're, we're I want to listen to that today. We're, we're not but, quite uh, Jerry, so yeah, you know, <laughs> no. not everyone not, does not four hour me. podcasts. There are some yeah, diehards we'll, that'll uh, hang in there, but yeah, we'll 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 split this one up into the two kind of the two chunks we had the the first half being uh, more about. Uh, uh, Bill's products and, and the company and everything. The second half about the the physics of aero penetration. I think that'll yeah. make a lot of sense. I think that's yeah, good. that's um, that sounds good because you know any kind of physics related archery, I've I've dug into it. I've got you know an opinion about any, anything. So yeah, it'd be good to you know come back on in the future. We'll come some, come up with some more subjects to to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know you you've mentioned that you're 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 doing some testing. Uh, so maybe after you. Uh, you get some of that testing done. We can you can come on. We can chat about that. And I know you sent us over uh, uh, at least uh, a bit of your stuff that we're gonna. I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna start writing blogs. Uh, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. But, uh, um, but but I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll post this up in a, much, in a. But I can write well. 
Okay, well then Garrett's <laughs> going to start writing blogs. So this this works out great. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll get it up on the website with with what you've given us, and I just want to let people know that that information will be there. Uh, that that uh, uh, Bill talked about um, with this push force and, and everything that we discussed in this particular uh, episode, and maybe some other stuff if he wants to give it to us. So we'll have that posted up there as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let everyone go to bed uh, uh, here, here in a minute. Uh, Bill, where where can uh, where can people find your products at and find you on social media? Yeah, our uh, website is um, ironwelloutfitters.com. Our um, Instagram is at ironwelloutfitters. Um, we're not actually an outfitter, so don't ask me to guide your elk hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in hindsight, we maybe should uh, change that last word. But anyway, that's what our, our stuff is under. Our Facebook page is also um, at Ironwell Outfitters. And uh, yeah, Ironwell Broadheads is, is our product. And you can uh, message us through any of those channels probably, and, uh, and we'll try and get back to you. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. Well, uh, I really, this is probably one of the best discussions we've had, uh, uh, to date on the, on the podcast. We're very, very excited that we were able to have this. Uh, so, uh, thanks again for, for coming on and, and sitting down with us for almost three and a half hours now, well, over <laughs> three and a half hours since we started talking. Uh, but it's been, it's been great. Uh, so, uh, hang out for a minute. Um, and we'll uh, uh, we'll we'll get all this wrapped up after I, I press the big stop button. Uh, but for everyone who's still listening, my God, uh, that this I, I, if we aired this as a single episode, it would have been a record. But, I, I uh, hope we'll, you guys we'll took notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna make a little. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'm glad you just said that because I'm gonna put that clip at the very beginning and and tell people to get a get a pen and paper because this is uh, this is a deep one. But uh, yeah, thanks well, everyone you- for uh, hanging out. Go ahead. Yeah, when you talked to me about, or we kind of went back and forth a little bit about what we should talk about, I thought, oh man, this could go pretty long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. But these are always the best discussions, though, especially when you got someone that is willing to actually discuss, even on things that you know might not be a hundred percent agreeance. It yeah, it makes for phenomenal discussion. And I mean, I've, I think, th- and that's part of the reason why I reached out to you guys. Is I was hearing what you were saying, and I knew that there was some technical background there. And I mean, I've enjoyed doing this over the years. I, I've had the chance to work with some of the the best engineers in their you know discipline, and and I loved challenging each other. And um, you know, it just drives people to a higher level. So I mean, exactly. having that absolutely, I love it. Having yep. that conversation is is always always good. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, cool. Well, thanks everyone for uh, hanging out. If you're still here and uh, until next time, stay lethal and disrupt the status quo.